Fixate on Code, episode 13. All right, Larry Porter here, and you're listening to Fixate on Code, the weekly bite-sized podcast where I talk to the best devs about their favorite strategies for writing great code. Now, let's chat with today's featured guest, Teresa Sokol. Teresa, are you ready to get down to business? Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Teresa is a front-end developer obsessed with the Elm language. No Red Ink, a platform helping millions of students learn how to write, nabbed her after spotting her skills. Teresa is also the creator of Elm Plot, a graph plotting library built in Elm. Teresa, can you fill in some of the gaps in that intro and tell me a little bit about what you get up to when you're not writing code? Uh, yeah, so I'm from Copenhagen, Denmark, and uh, I've been coding for like most of my life, I think. I learned basic on Commodore 64 before I learned English. I remember how surprised I was to find that if and then were actual English words. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I've been coding for quite a while, and uh, I still love it so much. But when I'm not coding, I like to read. Uh, mostly fiction leaning towards something along the lines of uh, philosophy, political science and psychology and like actual essays on these subjects as well. Um, I think uh, I like the same sort of uh, eloquence in fiction as I do in code. Like uh, I think it's very beautiful like the process you go through in writing both uh, literary works and code. And I think uh, the two subjects have way more in common than we give them credit for. Uh, And they're both really fascinating. So, yeah. So, you've been writing code most of your life. When did you actually start to write code? Um, Like, professionally, probably. I used to work in my father's company when I was like... He had a company. He was also a software engineer, which explains that sort of. Uh, which made um, software for pharmacies. And I worked there when I was like 13, 14, so working slowly. So, uh, But I always coded like a little bit when I was younger, just like small games and that sort. Wow, so it's really been a lifelong learning experience. Yeah. Now, Teresa, what are you most passionate about as a developer? Uh, in terms of the specifics in like software development, and I think I like the design part the best. Um, as I mentioned in the last episode, uh, then it's the elegance possible in any sort of like media of expression, which I'm passionate about. Uh, in terms, in the terms that we work on in software, is slightly different than those in like literature. Uh, it's a little more difficult to design a language to just and just ask everybody to speak it. But in software engineering. We express logic, and um, that's a, a lot more malleable. And I think I like that, that we sort of have some opportunities to design the entire language as well, uh, which is also why I'm really into Elm as well. You're going to be involved directly with the design of programming languages? Uh, well, I want to, and that's actually kind of why I really like Elm as well, and because I want to get into... Haskell, so I can work on the compiler and sort of help out on that front. That'd be really cool. That is one of my ambitions at least. I'm far from there. <laughs> and Elm seems like a great stepping stone for getting into a more functional approach to programming. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I sort of, yeah, 
like the theoretical part of programming, trying to um, figure out the best way of designing things and also building on the experiences of like these 40 years we have in software engineering and even older maybe in programming. Like I've learned a lot of programming language growing up, um, both for like assembly and like coupled and all these. I used to work on these like way mainframes kind of type of deal and they had some really funky languages. Uh, the one I worked the most in was a language called RPG. Um, and it was one of those languages which actually had like, you know, you had to put the instruction code in like the 35th character or something like that. <laughs> so I, was, <laughs> I, was, I sort of have a love for programming languages and like what they, the design of them can do to uh, how your code ends up looking, also just um, feeling and how it changes the experience you have when you do development. And that's a lot of experience. You've worked with languages that few people will ever get the opportunity to work with. Now, Teresa, can you take me to the worst experience you've ever had on a project? Yeah, so um, I used to work on a, as a consultant on a pretty big web project, um, developing a platform for video streaming. Um, oh, okay. The project you like just slowly like slided into total decay but, and refactoring was never scheduled for it. Um, I think it began with poor management and priorities. Uh, the company preferred to have consultants and or uh, steady employees uh, because it was sort of easy disposable, which is like already there, like pretty bad. Um, and uh, it resulted in a lot of people going in and out of the project and uh, according to their own schedule and it also had the fact that people rarely had like a strong connection or to the project itself and so it's kind of showed in the code that like you never really get to care for the project because it never really becomes yours you don't have that sort of sense of ownership um, so the entire project was built by contractors and they had yeah, no internal staff I think there was one guy who was actually like um, uh, like a steady employee uh, but he was sort of the only one that stayed on the project throughout the entire thing. I think I came in like halfway through and uh, it was one of my colleagues back then who also started the project kind of. Uh, but there's been a lot of people through it. And uh, I think the the management was quite like, the, they're prioritizing and they just have to like finish it on time, all these deadlines. and a lot of things were just kind of pushed under the carpet and there's more like uh, like fuck it, ship it kind of feel. <laughs> Which is... Uh, How did it feel working in that environment on a day-to-day -day basis? How did you get out of it? It was it was pretty terrible for me personally because I, I really care about code and I really care about clean code and I hate leaving a piece of code in a mess but they sort of like in an environment like that, it sort of really pushes you to uh, to your limits. If you want to do that, you have to. I spend a, I used to spend a lot of my like free time doing like fixing the code as well because I just couldn't stand the way. Because you care too much, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, um, which was problematic in its own sense because you're not supposed to do that. Um, it's not supposed to like take over your entire life because um, that's not healthy either. Uh, I think 
from a purely like like technical perspective, then I think it also started off pretty badly. Like uh, the choices that were, that were made from the beginning, it was built on React and Backbone and Reactive Streams, which is like they all ended up fighting for being the main paradigm. Like regarding like so Backbone is kind of like object-oriented and reactive streams like functional reactive programming as well as like react is sort of like somewhere in the middle and they're like it made it really hard for us so all these new people they didn't know uh, like it's hard to see none of these libraries really guided you towards like a very strict architecture like and it was hard to make decisions on what to do next and how to do things uh, which resulted in just people doing whatever they felt like <laughs> because oh, <wow. laughs> there was no restrictions for it. And you're all working in competing paradigms all the time as well. Yeah, exactly. How do you think the situation could have been improved while you were there? Well, I think uh, one of the things that uh, I think would have improved uh, my last situation there, that I, the project that was could be uh, using a language like Elm, which actually... like puts uh, some restrictions onto you of what you can do and has a very clear, clearly explained uh, architecture. And uh, I think using Elm as a tool is uh, one of my absolute favorite and necessary part of development now when I do front-end applications. Uh, so yeah, I would hate to be about it. How has Elm changed how you work? How difficult is it for someone to pick up a language like Elm and then get to a point where you can confidently build something useful? I think, uh, so there's a lot of focus on, uh, so Elm is like a purely functional language, and that can be sort of terrifying to some people to have, if you think of Haskell, and it's like, oh, you have to know everything about Monads and stuff like that, but Elm sort of guides you quietly towards like functional programming, and there's been a lot of focus on uh, creating really good documentation, and I know Evan. He generally like focuses on a lot on the documentation being also like a learning process for you. So you start out with the simplest uh, examples and sort of build it up. So it becomes like a little story you read when you read documentation for a package or something. So for me, it didn't really take a long time. I think uh, I, when I first started writing Elm for real, then it took me like two, three weeks before I felt really comfortable, but only like a, a few hours before I could write something uh, like a small application. So I think regarding what actually changed, how it changed the way I work, I think the philosophy behind Elm changed the, how I work a lot. Uh, the way it sort of encouraged you to think about your data structures and think about the design of your application before you do anything else, before you actually start coding. Um, I feel like that has changed a lot, like the way I code a lot. Wow, so Elm has had a massive impact on your workflow. But Teresa, where in your daily work are you still meeting frustration? Where do you feel that things can be done in a much better way? I think, uh, so at Neurodink, we have a huge code base. Like, it's gigantic. And uh, right now, we use Webpack to, um, to bundle it all. And it's extremely slow. And it's so frustrating because... So you can compile the file that you work in easily with like an Elm make linter and that's really fast. But if you actually have to get something on your screen, it's really slow because that compiles everything. So but we're actually fixing that. We're building a project uh, internally. It's called Jetpack. 
which is not based on JavaScript, like Webpackers, but on Haskell as well, uh, to bundle our assets. It might be open source later, actually. So pretty excited about that. Is it a tool specifically for compiling Elm projects? Uh, it's for compiling like both um, JS and um, Elm in, a, in the most efficient way. How far along are you guys with that? When can we expect the big reveal? <laughs> uh, I'm not personally working on it, but uh, I know people, like my colleague has been going through a long design process. And uh, I th- he's definitely, I've, we were pairing with them the other day and he had pretty much had it running pretty well, I think. I don't know what the scope is actually though, but... I'm pretty excited about it either way. I think there's still at least a few months of work on that. But yeah. Yeah, the whole bundler area feels it's often quite up and down and not sure what to use. Have you looked at something like JSPM, System.js, Rollup, or any of those alternatives? Uh, no, actually, we've, we've only, I think they've, uh, my colleagues have definitely been going in and checking them out and getting some inspiration for it but uh, personally I've only used Webpack and uh, well, the old ones like Gulp and Gulp and all that sorts but yeah So with all of the new projects and libraries and frameworks that are, that are coming out what are you most excited about at the moment? Well I have my own project the graphing library and I'm just uh, I have a new version coming out and uh, it's in review right now. I usually go over it with uh, some of my colleagues. Uh, and uh, so I'm really excited about that. It's been like a really exciting process to build this li- library myself to design an API from the very scratch. And sort of so this is Elm Plot? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about that. But actually the Jetpack thing is also really exciting. I really want to do some more Haskell. Um, so I plan to pay more on this project as well, uh, as well as just, uh, I ran into like, so we were doing some, uh, Elm CSS the other day, like, uh, it's basically CSS written in Elm and, uh, we were talking about how sometimes, uh, like I have uh, like a way of ordering CSS, uh, the different statements when there's not, when the, when the ordering doesn't actually change the the output and so we were thinking of making a tool for that so I think this small project like this would be good to start on but uh, I still have yet to do that yeah I suppose the struggle is trying to find the time (laughs) yeah now with all of the new languages and libraries coming out how do you decide what to learn and where do you make the time to learn it um so I think I spent a long time like working on a lot of um, projects in general I think the JavaScript community is sort of like I haven't really looked into too many of the things. I'm more like from a philosophical perspective that I see the ideas and like what they do is really cool. Uh, but in terms of learning actual tools, then uh, I sort of stick to the M community. But I, I have like a very strict learning schedule in my life. So I have like on Saturdays, I keep a log of everything like that I need to learn on my goals and stuff like that. So I keep like a diary sort of thing. And um, to sort of keep track of uh, what I need to learn and do, uh, which is pretty efficient, I find. How do you decide what goes into your to-do list and what to tackle first? 
Uh, I think uh, initially it's just like what I need to, what would help my own workflow right now. Like, so I don't actually have a university degree uh, because I think uh, I learn really well from being faced with problems. And then I have a lot of motivation to go find a solution for those problems. Uh, and this is also what has drove me to like functional programming as well and sort of like seeing that okay I had this problem with this project that I was telling you about and what could solve that and I was like separating data structures from the algorithms and that sort of things um, so yeah I think as a concrete uh, answer then yeah it's just I sort of prioritize the things that I need at my in my immediate uh, programming experience so, Teresa, is there a specific aspect about programming that has dramatically changed the way that you think about and write code? Um, I think I think there's a lot of like personal aspects that actually goes into the way I write code. Uh, I think what improved my code the most was uh, sort of uh, thinking about how I felt during my experience coding, and if I would get frustrated, I just learned to just stop. And just be like, because I saw that that's where like my integrity falls out, and, <laughs> and I write bad code is when I get frustrated with a bug or something, and then I just stop and do something else, and then sort of the problem just like goes in like a background process in my brain, and then at the time when I come back, I can solve it, you know, in the right way with integrity restored. <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird how those little breaks can really give us a breakthrough on our problems. I know I sit sometimes for two or three hours just banging my head against the problem and then I go away for a few minutes and then I come back and then I can suddenly mm. just solve the problem. Yeah, exactly. Incredible waste of time <laughs> to keep working on something if you're stuck in that. I think uh, also just like taking a look from like a design perspective from like a a broader perspective of your application and see like what problems can I sort of batch into a single problem and solve it. Um, so instead of solving small problems all around your application, try to take a look at uh, maybe there's like a dis design problem with your product itself, like <laughs> uh, which is essentially will resolve your code as well. And I suppose sometimes it's just a little bit about taking a, taking a look at the bigger picture. And with that, we've come to the end of our first segment. Teresa, I'm about to throw some quickfire questions your way. Let's do this. <laughs> what is the best advice about programming you've ever received? Um, I think uh, I read a quote by uh, uh, Linus Torvalson which is like uh, the guy who makes Linux. And uh, he said that uh, a good programmer thinks about uh, his data structures and bad programmers think about code. And I think that's so true. I think I'm a huge fan of like hammock-driven development where you just kind of think a long time about uh, your data structures and then start coding. Teresa, which personal habits do you attribute to writing better code? Um, as we just talked about, you know, like taking breaks and uh, thinking about the big picture, I think that really helps. And also just generally like taking care of yourself during the process. Don't work too hard. Like, I, like not in like 
don't be passionate about your work, but just don't work 10 hours in a row and remember to eat and <laughs> like drink water. <laughs> <laughs> drink water. Wow, that is some stellar advice. <laughs> Teresa, if you could recommend one book on programming, what would it be and why? Uh, so I read this book called uh, Clean Code. Uh, I think it's pretty famous. I think it was really, really great. This just sort of goes over like a bunch of tools you can, or like methods you can use to uh, write cleaner code. And it goes through like everything from like naming to structuring and like consistency. And I learned a lot. I think it's, even though a lot of these things come like intuitively when you write a lot of code, but it's nice to get it like formalized and sort of put it in boxes. And it does that really well. And get some information from some of the guys who've been in the industry for a far longer time than we have. Now, Teresa, who in the front-end world is doing work that really inspires you? Well, obviously, like, Evan Jablicki, who's the inventor of Elm. I think he's doing a really good job. Uh, I, I mean, he's not only technically skilled, but I think his integrity and loyalty towards quality is very inspiring and in the manner he manages to inspire the same in others is uh, quite admirable. All right, Teresa, let's reverse it a little over here. Imagine you wake up and you have no recollection of ever having written code. With your knowledge of the tools, books, and courses available today, how would you go about learning to program from scratch? <laughs> uh, I don't even remember what it's like not to know what an array is. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a timeline to cover over there. Um, but I think I think I would go work with somebody or like be taught by somebody who knows programming already. I think there's a lot of like osmosis going on regarding programming. Um, and uh, I think drawing diagrams of like which is a lot easier with functional programming languages. Um, like when the way I was taught when I was kid was just like a bunch of drawings of like those classical diagrams of uh, ifs and thens and how the flow of your application goes. I thought that was really helpful to sort of create a mental image of what your application is supposed to look like. And so, uh, yeah, that and like, I'm a, like a manual kind of girl. Like, <laughs> like in the way that when I just when I had to learn uh, JavaScript, I just went through all of the documentation of all methods of all objects that exist. Of the and entire that, API. <laughs> yeah. uh, I just went through because that was how I used to do it in the old languages. The API is a lot smaller. So uh, wow. I was a little overwhelmed at first, but I figured that it was nice because then you sort of have an idea of what is possible. It's not that you have to remember everything. Uh, but when you have to use it... You just know that it's yeah, there. Yeah, exactly, which is really helpful. So, I don't know. Wow. <laughs> okay, what did you use to go through the JavaScript API? Um, I used uh, the Mozilla documentation, basically, of the API, or and I think it was uh, the 3W schools. I think that's what it's called. It's been a while. Um, but yeah, that is a lot of documentation to chew through. Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's an old habit from my childhood to just go go through those. How I was taught to learn. I'm not sure it's the most efficient way, actually, but <laughs> it gets you. That's some really great advice, though. I mean, I could really benefit from doing that. And Teresa, let's wrap up with your top tip on how to work smart and the best way that we can connect with you. I think uh, the best way to work smart would be to 
make like be aware of your own like mental state and uh, like we spoke about like, the whole frustration thing I think that's incredibly important in like every kind of everything anything you do like whether it's learning or working professionally like be aware of how you feel and uh, use your emotions to actually motivate you um, to reach your goals um, so that's pretty meta but <laughs> Uh, I find that sort of uh, being extra conscious and self-aware can help you reach your goals pretty easily. And uh, the best way to connect with me is probably on Twitter. <laughs> My name is uh, Tashka with like an underscore at the end, like before the A. <laughs> can you spell it out for our listeners? Yes, it's uh, T-E-R-E-Z-K underscore A. Perfect. To everyone out there, you've been hanging with Teresa Sokol and Larry Buerta. Head over to fixate.it where you'll find links and timestamps for everything we've been chatting about today. Teresa, thank you for sharing your journey with Fixate on Code. Keep pushing the limits and keep pushing great code. 